This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. In this segment, we'll be exploring Boost's journey as a local homegrown e-wallet pioneer from Malaysia that has grown to become a multi-million dollar full-spectrum fintech brand, not only locally, but across the Southeast Asian region. Speaking on this topic is none other than the group CEO of Boost himself. It is Shayanta Abikon. With his wealth of experience of over two decades in the financial services industry, he has extensive in-depth insights to share on Boost's five-year journey so far in narrowing the financial inclusion gap within the region and the state of Southeast Asia's vibrant fintech landscape. Welcome to the show, Shayanta. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm very good, and uh, thanks for having me on again. Let's get straight into things, Shainta. Um Boost first evolved from a local e-wallet, then to a regional lending-focused business, and soon it will also operate a digital bank. As you kind of reflect on this journey, what for you are some of the key milestones and the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, so Richard, I think, first of all, you captured our journey quite accurately. It's um, been a, a little bit of a a journey of uh, changing business models. Um, you're right when you say that we started as a homegrown e-wallet in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we very soon added on other services like um, lending, which you did mention. And obviously, we are very excited about um, the digital bank joint venture, which we are about to launch with RHB. So yes, it's been an evolution of our business model. And um, first, let me um, address the question, question of milestones. I mean, just thinking back, I would say, you know, simple things like even when we hit our first 2 million customers, when we started um, the Boosty Wallet business, we didn't know whether it would even take off, right? And mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. time, QR codes were not um, everywhere like you see them now. Uh, so there was a lot of ifs and buts whether the the model would even succeed. So I, I think our first wins were you know just getting two million customers initially. I think in the first couple of months. I think when we um, gave out our first loan, that was a very special experience. We actually, even though it was a digital loan, we went physically and met the borrower. You know, did a photo op with them. It was very exciting for us. So these are these <laughs> are uh, things that uh, you know I remember <laughs> fondly thinking back. Yeah. Ironically, we did it in Indonesia, as well <laughs> as in Malaysia at the same time. Um, so some of those early um, experiments, if you like, that we did um, that eventually evolved into now a full-scale proven business model is something I think uh, when, when I look back, it's, it's, it's quite gratifying. And I think people who've been part of the journey really remember some of those moments uh, with fondness, uh, as do I. Obviously, there have been some big uh, public milestones as well that uh, validated um, our success along the way. So, I mean, uh, I think we publicly stated when we hit 10 million customers on Boost and about half a million uh, merchants here in Malaysia. I think uh, sometime in the heart of the pandemic, when you know things were looking quite bleak, we were able to uh, do a, a fintech raise. Uh, we got uh, Great Eastern to come in and as an investor to invest $70 million. Um, that time, it was the largest fintech raise in Malaysia. Yeah. Um, obviously, winning the digital bank license, which was uh, something we had um, worked on. Uh, considerably mm-hmm. with our partners for you know three years before we got the license was obviously a significant milestone mm-hmm. and um, I think um, you know some of the success we've had in Indonesia when we bought um, um, a lending company there and you know scale that quite rapidly have also been very exciting for us so there have been some big 
big um, public milestones, but, um, you know, very often we like to think about, you know, some of the smaller wins as well, because those were equally important to us. Hmm. Um, in terms of lessons learned, um, I think that well, the short answer is there have been a lot of lessons. I think if I were to narrow down a few, I think um, one is, uh, I mean, this is not just um, uh, something that would be um, peculiar to our journey, but anybody who's been on a tech journey knows that you typically have more failures along the way than successes because right, you know, you're, right. you're, you're starting uh, with a lot of unknowns. So mm. it's important to stay the course and it's important to, uh, unlike in a traditional business where, you know, um, you would like to have more successes than failures if you're an established business. In a, in a, in a startup, you're going to do a lot of early mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's important to stay the course uh, and not get discouraged. It's important that you learn from every mistake. I think that's something that we um, try and inculcate in our culture as well. And I think that that, that served as well. I think that that would be one um, uh, kind of a very, very important takeaway from our journey. Mm. Um, the second thing is I would say something I always um, tell my staff, I mean, stay focused uh, on what mm. you want to do because um, we operate in a, in a business um, that really has no boundaries if you think about it, right? Um, it's a business model that when we started was new and there are many different avenues uh, that you can go down in mm. terms of products you want to launch, uh, you know, uh, business adjacencies that you want to explore and so forth. So very often you do get tempted to go down different pathways and sometimes you get distracted from your core objective. And and, and that's that's um, quite natural in, 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 in these kind of journeys. I mean, I've been in the digital space for almost a decade now, so I've seen this in other ventures as well. Now, you have spoken a lot about the success of Boost being focused around building a proposition to serve the underserved. What do you think is the real secret in getting that right? I do get asked this question a lot because... Um, you start off here with a bit of a paradox, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, you want to um, try and solve a problem, um, uh, which is really serve underserved customers, but you want to do it through digital means. And the paradox is uh, very often those customers, maybe very small micro SMEs or B40 customers are not mm-hmm. really that digitally literate, right? Right. So right. In, in, in some cases, you're trying to solve a problem, but you may be giving, if you're not careful, an additional problem right. um, to your yeah. customers, right? Um, so so I, I think one of the learnings that we've had on our journey is it's very important not to uh, change the customer's behavior too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, very often, you know, um, we think about our product and service and we are quite passionate and we feel that it solves the customer problem. But we don't quite realize the the, the, the friction and barriers that a customer needs to, you know, surpass to engage in our product. Right. 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 So, so the best thing to do is, um, you know, try and, you know, reverse engineer. Make sure your product is embedded into how your customer works today. So that the customer doesn't really have to ch- turn, uh, change their behavior too much. I mean, I'll give you a simple example just to bring this to mm-hmm. life. I mean, we provide loans to small merchants who place orders um, for things like, you know, um, grocery products, uh, dairy products, etc. Now, typically, um, when you think about getting a loan, you would think about, you know, a couple of steps. You know, you need to put an application. Even if you're doing it digitally, you need to do a whole set of uh, steps on an app, right, even mm-hmm. to get a loan. What we do is we actually embed our service. So um, let's say if somebody's ordering a small retailer ordering milk, for example, um, that retailer on a day-to-day basis would have a simple system to order from their distributor, would click a button or, 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 or do a toggle on, our, on, their, on their existing system just to place order. 
Mm-hmm. What we do is if you want to get a loan from us, there's just another toggle. You pay for cash or you pay via credit. But you do everything else that you do on your system. So we embed our services into what they do. And I think mm-hmm. that's very powerful. That's very mm-hmm. powerful because essentially um, you're not changing the behavior or you're not really disrupting the way um, a customer um, interacts today. I mean, this is not a principle that should apply just to underserved customers. It should really apply to uh, every to customer. Mm. It should apply to everybody. It's, it's a golden rule that should apply to everybody. But particularly in underserved segments, we find that to be quite powerful. You've also mentioned that your ambition is to take the success in Malaysia into other markets. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so when we started, um, um, I did mention that we had a roadmap. And as part of the roadmap, I think eventually we wanted to um, take whatever success we had in our home market and replicate it in other markets. Given that our parent um, is also a company that has presence in multiple markets like Ziara, um, we felt it. Uh, we had, um, if you like, a base case, baseline advantage to enter other markets as well. Mm. Um, now, um, what we did consciously when we started off was we decided, okay, let's focus on two markets, which is Malaysia and Indonesia. Again, going back to the principle of focus. And let's try uh, two slightly, obviously, different markets, uh, similar in some aspects, but different in many, uh, many, many structural aspects, mm. and try and prove our model in these markets and get validation. Mm. I think we've come to a point where we've done that. And, and I think that focus strategy was quite good because it kind of gave us an idea of what, um, what our business model should be. Right, mm-hmm. So it allows us to evolve in, in these two markets. And I think we've come to a point now where we are confident that we have a repeatable playbook that can be successful in other markets with similar structure. So uh, from a region perspective, I mean, we are looking at um, Southeast Asia, some of the the markets. I'm, I'm not in a position to publicly announce which market because I think it's still um, under discussion internally. But mm-hmm. as a region, a region, I would say probably some other Southeast Asian markets where we uh, probably have um, a degree of an incumbent advantage because... Mm-hmm. When you think about uh, market entry, or uh, we always think about, you know, what's our right to play or right to win in any mm-hmm. particular market. So we think if our business model works and if there is a core customer base that is similar to the markets that we operate in um, today, which is, you know, underserved uh, customers, small micro SMEs, et cetera, we, we feel we have a strong proposition. We would enter that market. Um, we are trying to do our third market entry this year. Actually, that's that's in the plan. Right. Um, so I think we are very excited about that. Final question for you then, Chayanta, is, is um, what are some of the developments you'd like to see in the Malaysian market to propel the growth of fintech, you know, like Boost? Okay, I think um, there are... Uh, so first, let me start by saying I think uh, fintech is in a quite a healthy position in the Malaysian market, I think, um, um, both um, in terms of the amount of innovation I see, I'm not just talking about Boost, which is kind of backed by uh, some large uh, corporates, but even if I think about startup uh, fintechs out there, I think um, um, the state of the industry is quite healthy and I see a lot of innovative companies coming up and um, you know the entrepreneurial zeal that is required to make this work is definitely there in Malaysia. And I think that's, that's, that's a very good starting point. 
Um, from a regulatory perspective, I think the regulator is always an important um, stakeholder in the development right. of something like this, right? Uh, because yeah. technically, fintech starts by operating on the fringe of regulation and then eventually comes in, right? <laughs> I think yes. the regulator has been quite progressive as well. I mean, if I take the digital bank license as one example, I felt it was quite a progressive way to allow fintech companies like us to get into the banking space, mm-hmm. right? So I think uh, that regulatory um, enablement is there. Um, but um, so that's the starting position. I think the starting position is we are in a healthy place. I think what more can we do given that, you know, uh, we see a lot of uh, accelerated development even in the region. I think um, small fintechs uh, definitely have challenges in terms of getting access to capital. I think in terms of right. uh, how do we um, create, I mean, we don't really have a very active VC um, angel investing kind of uh, ecosystem in Malaysia, I think uh, we can do more to develop that, not just for fintech, but for technology overall. I think um, very often people go to regional hubs uh, like Singapore, etc., but they mm-hmm. are competing, um, you know, against many people and uh, many different markets. So I think, I think, um, I think I would like to see more of that where we have, you know, a lot more um, institutional investing uh, behind startups and fintechs. I think that'll help the industry as a whole. Mm. Uh, so that's one. Um, the other area, I think, um, um, I mean, Malaysia is, and I can say this quite openly because, I mean, I have, uh, I think Boost has both a fintech and a bank. I think Malaysia is very, um, has a very strong banking sector. Yeah. And the banks are quite dominant uh, in the marketplace. Um, but I think um, it does crowd out some of the fintechs in certain areas. I think we're, we're in, in certain areas where perhaps fintechs and innovation can uh, probably solve customer experiences a lot faster and a lot quicker. I think uh, there are there are areas where we can probably, from a regulatory perspective, ensure a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, I mean that's a that's a big topic. I can talk about that for hours, so I probably won't get into the weeds. But I think that's that's something important from a policy perspective. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing, uh, something that I'm very passionate about, is open data and open banking, which means that. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's it's not just banks, but large institutions being able to offer, um, being able to open up APIs to third-party service providers to share customer data with customer consent. Right. And that right. creates a very, very um, strong winning proposition for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and and typically, um, if this works well, it's a good symbiotic relationship between you know large institutions that have data. It could be telcos, it could be banks, uh, many other service providers, utility companies, and it could be fintechs where there are win-win partnerships. Um, mm. It doesn't happen um, as often, uh, and it's an uh, it's at an early evolution in most markets. But I think uh, it's it can create very powerful um, holistic customer propositions. Hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day, I keep saying this. I mean, um, I mean, companies tend to be very protective over the customer data they have. At the end of the day, the data belongs to the customer, not the company. Right. So yeah. you yeah. need to yeah. give the customer the choice. Uh, and I think um, open data, open banking is a very exciting um, and powerful um, mechanism to do that. And there are multiple use cases. I, I think it requires a little bit of regulatory support as well um, to get it done. So it's something that I personally, as um, CEO of a large fintech here, and and you know um, we also have now a digital bank in our portfolio. Mm. I'm uh, strongly advocating for uh, because I think um, the um, the uh, 
benefits to the customer are, are immense if we get it right. I've been uh, speaking with Shayanta Abikon. He, uh, of course, is uh, the group CEO of Boost. We've been talking about uh, Boost Journey as a local homegrown e-wallet pioneer from Malaysia that has grown to become a multi-million dollar full-spectrum fintech brand, not only locally, but across the Southeast Asian region. If you missed any part of this show, please download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend the BFM app that is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For BFM 89.9, I'm Rich Bradbury. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 